We're in a series called Living Life Intentionally. This series is all about really stopping and focusing on key areas of our life that we may not be paying enough attention to, that we need to live more intentionally with. And so instead of just getting on autopilot and zipping through and coasting through life, we're taking time to look at some areas of our life that maybe we need to, to, to hone, to get a course correction in, and to do better in. In the last three weeks, actually this will be the third week, we've been focusing in on something very important, and that is strengthening our relationships. You know, the hallmark to Christianity is building strong, healthy, loving relationships. The Bible speaks over and over again about our relationships, our marriages, our families, our, our, our churches, our, with, with our coworkers, with, with just people in the community. So important. We need to be intentional in strengthening those. Now, a lot of you have asked me uh, after each uh, week to prepare notes for you. And so I took time this week to do that. After the service today, those of you would like to, in our resource center, the notes of the last two weeks and the notes for today in greater detail are going to be available to you because this is a how-to series, not just a what-to. This is a how-to. We're taking biblical principles, in some cases biblical mandates, and we're seeking ways that we can practic practically embrace those, practically satisfy those commands and those mandates and principles in our lives. So I want you to have it so that you can use it as a reference and so that you can build your relationships. Now, we understand that strong communication is a key to building strong relationships. And I've been sharing a lot of communication skills with you. I got in trouble last service time-wise by doing too much review. So I'm going to flip through this particularly since you can get these all in your notes. But we've talked about listening skills. And we know that strong communication starts not with how we speak, but how we listen. James 1.19 says, let everyone be quick to what? Listen. listen. Quick to what? Listen. See, we get it so, the opposite so often. We're doing the exact opposite. We want to just speak. We want to get our mind uh, out there. We want to get our opinion out there. But we need to just slow down and understand that really to be an effective relationship builder, we need to first listen. It should be our default. Whenever we're confronted with a conflict conversation, we should say, listen. Listen, listen, listen. The two most powerful words of conflict resolution are what? Stay curious, see? Listen. So we talked about active listening, being present in the conversation, not being distracted, giving the other person our full attention. We've talked about reflective listening, digging deeper into the other person's perspective, the other person's feelings. We talked about then moving to interpersonal skills. Once we've listened, what do we say? And we know that James says that we need to be slow to speak, even after listening. Because sometimes we're listening, we're not really listening, we're just giving them an opportunity to say what they want to say so that we can immediately jump back into conversation and give them our point of view. Well, we need to be slow to do that. Quick to listen, slow to speak. When we become the speaker, when it's our turn to speak, when it's our turn to share, we need to be very careful about the words that we use. Understanding as Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. That's what we're here to do. We're here to bring healing. Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to what? 
their needs. See? Because we're peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Last week we saw that when we speak, we need to use I statements rather than you statements. You statements are con, are, 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 they condemn the other person. We got some examples, and I don't have time to go over all that again. But for example, someone who's feeling that they're not being paid enough attention, a you statement would be, you don't care about me. You're inconsiderate. You never make time to call or text me. An I statement, on the other hand, would say, when you don't pay attention to me or call me or text me, I feel disconnected. I feel lonely. If it's housework, you know, sharing domestic responsibilities around the house. Someone might say, you don't help out enough. You just expect me to clean up after you. Well, that's putting them on the defensive. An I statement would say, when you don't help out with the housework, I feel overwhelmed. I feel unappreciated. I struggle with that. See, it opens the door to healthier communication. We talked about assertion statements last week. The Bible does not call us to be doormats in conflict resolution. Our opinion counts, our feelings count, our perspective counts, certainly our biblical worldview counts. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way. There's a healthy way and an unhealthy way to share those points of view. So we talked about two-point assertion messages. Basically that say, when you, whatever the behavior is, that makes me feel this way. It can be positive. When you return my calls promptly, I feel respected. Or when you don't return my calls promptly, I feel disrespected. Then we talk about three-part assertion statements that give a little bit more detail to why we feel the way we feel. When you, you work late so often, I feel frustrated because we don't have enough time together as it is. The kids are taking all of our time and we don't have any couple time. And when you work late, that takes even more time away from us. Whenever we do these statements, we need to make sure that we are concentrating on a behavior and not the character of the other person. Now, I kind of left you off last week with the idea that we need to forge a third story. We've all heard this expression before. There's two sides to every story, right? We've all heard that. We've all said that. Well, there's two sides to every story. Well, in fact, your side carries with it certain assumptions naturally. One assumption is that your view is the correct view. You're right about this. Another assumption is you know their intentions. You know what they're thinking. You know what their strategy is. You know what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. And most of the time, you're not favorable about their intentions. Third is they're to blame. No, no, I'm a reasonable person. I, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but trust me, they're the demon. They're the one that's wrong. They're the one that, that's contributing the most negativity into our relationship. Now, their story also has assumptions. And the assumptions of their story is that their view is the correct view. And that they know your intentions. They know what you're up to. And that you're to blame. Basically, the two sides of the story carry the same basic assumptions and that's why we have so much dysfunction. That's why we have so much chaos. That's why we quickly slide into arguing and defending and accusing and, and, and hurting. 
because we have assumptions from our story and they have assumptions from their story. And trust me, the assumptions they have are just as strong to them as the assumptions that we have. Now, let's break these assumptions down. My view is the correct view. According to Stone, Patton, and Heath in their book, Difficult Conversations, our first mistake is that we often assume we are looking at factual matter and our view of the facts is the correct view. The fact is you're out to get me. The fact is you don't care about me. The fact is you're trying to manipulate me. The fact is just fill in the blank. And See, that's where we're coming from. We know the facts. We've got the facts right. To move towards a healthy conversation, we have to shift from certainty about our view to curiosity about their perspective, their point of view. Because the two most powerful words of conflict resolution are stay curious. Thank you, both of you who got that. Listen, if you come away with anything from this particular section of this series, come away with that. The two most important words in conflict resolution are? Thank you. Stay curious, see? I'll just say, well, this is, I got it right. Well, no, why do you think what you think? Then we know their intentions. Well, we tend to think that we know what the other intends. However, Our beliefs are often wrong. We don't get it right. And that's not what they intended at all. We base our assumptions on our own feelings. That's where this whole thing breaks down. If I come away hurt from our conversation, it was your intention to be hurtful to me. If I feel disrespected, that was your intention. You meant to make me feel disrespected. See, we base... Their intentions on our emotional state and how we're feeling. But our feelings can be wrong. We also tend to think the worst of others and the best of ourselves, don't we? Yeah. Hey, I'm reasonable. Hey, I'm a nice person. I don't go looking for trouble. I'm a Christian. Now you, you're a demon out of the pits of hell. See? We tend to put the halo over our head. We're not perfect, and we get that. You know, we wouldn't be that bold. But you, oh, you. What we need to do is ask the other what his intent was. Ask the other person what her intent was. Because the two most powerful words of conflict resolution are, I'm loving you more every minute. And remain open-minded about your interpretation of their intent. You're going to find a lot of the time, what you think their intention is, is not what their intention is at all. You're to blame. Focusing on blame's a bad idea. And here's the reason it's a bad idea. Because if we stay fixed on focusing blame on the other person, we're never going to be open to digging into what the real challenges in this conflict are. What is driving this conflict? 
under the surface, not up here, but what really is, we, we won't peel back the layers of that onion. And if we don't do that, we're not going to find a mutually satisfactory solution to the conflict that we're presented with. The solution is to focus on ma mapping each other's contribution to the conflict. What have I been contributing to our relationship that might not be healthy? What have you been contributing that might not be healthy? What have I said? What, you know, and we're looking then honestly because we really want to understand what's driving this issue because if we don't understand what's driving it, we're never going to be able to, to reconcile it. Now, all these steps that we just talked about are steps towards collaborating on a third story. In fact, there's not just two sides to every story. There's a third side to the story. What does that side look like? Well, that's the side that if you went to a pastor, one of us at the Bridge Church, and you sat down and you were telling us and sharing us your side, and they were sharing their side, we, we would be processing all that. And we would be looking for something between those extremes. Because we know what your assumptions are. We know what their assumptions are. But reality and healing is someplace between those. It's what if you went to a third party like a counselor who's not part of, they don't have any, they don't have a horse in the race. And they're not siding with one or the other. How they would look at your conflict, your contributions, the other person's contributions, and they would be looking for that third story, a more realistic story. Now, how do you forge that third story? What do you do to forge that third story? First thing you do is you agree that you're in disagreement with each other. You just agree. Get it on a table. It's true, right? If you weren't in disagreement, you wouldn't be having any conflict. Just get it out there. For example, from inside your story, if you contest dad's will, it's going to tear our family apart. Now, what they are hearing is you're selfish. You're ungrateful. You don't care about our family. Now, what's the third story between those two extremes? Something like this. I want to talk about dad's will. You and I obviously have different understandings of what dad intended and of what's fair to each of us. I want to understand why you see the way you do and share with you my perspective and feelings. I have strong feelings and fears about what a court fight would mean for the family I suspect you do too. Now, you see how that statement is different? Basically, it's saying, you and I, we have differing opinions about, about Dad's will. We're not agreeing. Get it out there. The other person goes, yeah, we do. Okay, so now you've got a yes. That's a positive step instead of a no. I want to understand why you see things the way you do. I don't want to assume. I don't want to just assume what your intentions are. I don't want to put the blame on you. I, I don't want to just think that, that, that I've got the right facts and my facts are the right way. I want to hear from you because the two most powerful worlds of conflict resolution are stay curious. See? I also want to share my perspective. I'm not a doormat. I have a perspective. I have a view. I have an opinion. I don't want to impose that on you. I want to share it with you. See? So I have strong feelings of fear about what a court fight would mean for the family. I suspect you do too. I, I, don't, I don't think you're trying to destroy our family. Now, whatever else you may think or feel, you can at least start 
with the agreement that you are seeing things differently. Next, shift from positions to interests. Now, positions are what we want. It's our predetermined solution to the conflict at hand. That's my position. Now, interests are why I'm holding the position I'm holding. What interests drive me to that conclusion that my way is the best way? What need do I have or needs do I have that are influencing my thinking? See, the, the position is what? And we square off in our positions. That's, that's why we, we don't get anywhere. You're going to, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I won't. And we're battling from positions. And often we get fixed in those positions. That's what Kat et al. says. People see a problem and each tries to solve the problem alone. They become, here's the key, they become attached to the unilateral solution they develop, which become fixed in their minds as the only solution. See? I've solved this problem. I know what we need to do. And in fact, there's no other way to solve it. It's my way or the highway. Thank you. My way or the highway. And that's why we don't get resolution. That's why the hurt just deepens. That's why we walk away from that talk more hurt than we were before we went into the talk. Interests, basically that conflicts are actually about underlying needs and interests. To move from positions, the parties must understand the underlying needs and interests of each other. We do that through reflective listening. Ask, what drove me to arrive at this conclusion, that this is the way we need to solve this? What drove you to the conclusion that what you're presenting is the way that we need to solve this conflict? What are the interests? What are the needs driving that? Might be a financial need. Might be a security need. Might be just the interests of, of more people than, than just you and me. See, what are those interests? What are those needs? Now, here's the cool thing. Once we begin to list those, and I, I would encourage you, if you're a couple and you're sitting down, you're working on this, list your interests, why you want what you want, why they want what they want. List those interests, because here's what you're going to find very frequently, that your interests actually intersect. You want that? Well, that's what I want. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That, that, that's what I meant all the time. And see, we're, we're fixed in our positions when in reality, we're really wanting the same thing and many of the same things, but we're trying to accomplish those things, satisfy those needs differently. And that's where the conflict really is. When we begin to identify the interests, when we begin to identify the needs, then we have a springboard towards a healthy reconciliation. Shift from positions to interest. If you contest dad's will, it's going to tear apart our family. Interest number one, I'm not happy with dad's will, and I'm going to contest it. Position number one. 
Position number two is you're going to tear our family apart. Okay, so when we approach it from interests and needs, why do you want to contest dad's will? What's in dad's will that makes you uncomfortable? What's in dad's world that might be hurtful to you? What's in dad's world that you object? Why do you think that, that just because I don't agree with, with your interpreting of dad's will, do you think it's going to tear the family apart? See, we find out the needs and the interests. Then we shift to problem solving rather than people solving. See, when we're in our positions and we're fighting from our positions, we're saying what? You're going to, and the other person is saying, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. When pigs fly, I will. Okay. What we're trying to do and what we're suggesting is you're going to change. I'm going to change you. I'm digging in until I wear you down. I'm digging in until I intimidate you enough that you come along to my solution. And that may happen. You actually may be successful in intimidating somebody and finally they, they wear down and they give up. But have you settled the crisis? Have you strengthened the relationship? No. You've exacerbated the situation. You've deeply hurt the relationship. Inside the story, if you contest dad's will, it's going to tear apart our family. You better get on board before you destroy our family. Now, from the third story, hey, we're family. I cannot believe that either one of us wants to tear apart our family. I'm absolutely convinced that if we put our heads together, we can work out a mutually satisfactory solution to selling dad's estate without drama and without compromising our collective future together. See the difference? Now, in doing that, in stepping out of your story and your assumptions, you're not surrendering. You're not giving up. You're not throwing down the white, the, the white flag. All you're doing is you're now inviting your counterpart into a joint exploration of why we feel the way we do and where we can go from here. Shift from viewing him or her as your conflict adversary to your conflict partner. What a difference. From your adversary to, come on, come on, let's sit down. We're bigger than this. We're not going to let this destroy us. We're working together on this. Two heads are better than one. I don't believe you want to destroy our marriage. I don't believe you want to harm our kids. I don't believe you want to destroy our workplace. I don't believe, come on. Now, if you're tending to think, I'm not going to do it. You don't know the jerk I'm working with. Romans 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, read it with me, as far as it depends on you, Say that again. As far as it depends on you, not on them. God said, hey, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, that's why I'm trying to share these conflict resolution skills with you, these interpersonal skills with you. 
so that you can come in conformity with what God says. Now, I want to introduce to you a seven-step problem-solving process. Now, I don't have time to break each one of these steps down. But if you're interested, the notes that I have prepared for you after the service break every one of them down and give you more information about each step on how to accomplish each step. But let me just give them to you real quick. The first is to define the proper challenge in terms of desired states. Not where I'm at, what I want, but where we want to end up. What are your interests? What's driving your position? What's my interest? What's driving my position? And where's the discrepancy between the two? I need to define that. What's the real problem? I'm not really the problem. You're not really the problem. This is the problem. What's the problem? You've got to define it because you've got to attack that, not each other. Identify options for solution and clarifying options that are ambiguous. This is called brainstorming. Just start brainstorming all kinds of potential solutions, all kinds of potential options, courses of actions that you can take. And write every one of them down. Don't ignore any one of them. You know, a spouse might say to the other one, well, the only way we're ever going to have peace is for me to kill you. Okay, write it down. All right, kill spouse. That's an option. Whatever it is, write it down. All you're trying to do in step two is list as many options as the two of you or the three of you, the four of you, how many are involved in this, can possibly think up. Brainstorm. Put them all down. Once you kind of say, man, I can't think of anything else. Now you're ready to go to step three, which is evaluate alternative solutions. Now, it's really, really important to keep steps two and three separate. In step two, brainstorming, you are not making any evaluations. I mean, what for us to peace? Is for you to kill me? Well, that's stupid. Well, see, if you start evaluating options in step two, what you're going to do is shut down any talk about options. Because someone is going to feel intimidated. Someone is going to feel unheard. Someone is going to feel silly. Someone is going to feel ridiculed. Someone is going to feel condescended to. So that's why in step two, you just put whatever it is, no matter whether you're thinking, that is absolutely crazy. Are you insane? Don't say that. Just write the option down. Then step two, you go back and you say, okay, let's, let's look at option number one. If we were to choose that option, where are the dominoes going to fall? Because every time we make a decision, we set dominoes, right, falling in some direction. What are the consequences of that? Is that going to be productive? How is it going to be productive? Evaluate every option. Step four, then you decide on an acceptable solution. Now you're taking the options that seem to be the best options that have the best opportunity and potential to, to bring a healthy solution to this conflict, then you bring them to the table, one or combination of options maybe. Now, this is really important, don't miss this. Develop an implementation plan. It's gonna do you no good to go through steps one through four and then just get up on the table, well, we'll see how it works. No, 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 no. Who is going to do what? 
what resources might we need to put this option into, into plan? Is it a financial resource? Or do we need some outside third party involved in helping us with this? Who is going to do what? What resources are going to be needed to accomplish that? When will that be accomplished? What's the timeline? And, and so forth. You've got to have a plan. Write the plan down. Don't just make it a verbal plan because you'll forget or someone will be misrepresented. Write it down. Then develop a process for evaluating the results of the implementation plan. How's it going? Check in periodically. Hey, you were responsible for this. How's that going? Tell me where you're at. Hey, no, I was responsible for this. Let me tell you where I'm at, what I found out. Hey, here's a resource. That, you, you know, come back and then evaluate the results. How is this plan working? How is it not working? Do we need to sit down again and brainstorm again? Because what we've come up with is obviously not going to work. Then at the end, talk about the experience. Talk about the experience. Was this a better way to approach us than yelling and screaming at each other? Was this a better way to approach us than, than trying to cut each other's throat at work? See, we're, we're, we're going to evaluate the process. Did it work? Did it not work? If it didn't work, why didn't it work? If it didn't work, what can we do to make the next round work better? Now, let me, let me give you one of Pastor Pete's pillars of conflict resolution. I gave you one already. It's stay curious. Here's the other one. Process trumps outcome. Now, are we going to be able to bring full resolution to every conflict that we're involved in? Is that realistic? No. A lot more. That's realistic. We do a lot better than we usually do. And the more we use these, the more skillful we'll become at it. But here's the thing. Process trumps outcome. What do I mean? In my 24 years pastoring here at the bridge, there have been occasions when bridge family members have come to me, either singly or couples or couple groups, and they've been in disagreement about something that I've done or some direction the church has taken. And we've sat down and we've, we, we've talked about it. And there's been times when we have not reached a mutually satisfactory conclusion to our talk. But we still had a win. And here's why we had a win. Because we've walked away saying something like, you know what, we, we haven't reached agreement. But I want to thank you that you've listened to me. And I really believe you've tried to listen. I, I want to thank you that we've treated each other respectfully and we, ha we haven't attacked each other. Here, here's the thing. If you use a sound process in trying to resolve conflict, trying to strengthen your relationships, whether you reach your ultimate and optimal outcome or not, you're going to have a win if both parties feel like the process has been respectful and the process has been fair and the process has been reasonable. That's a win. It may not be a win-win, but it's a win. 
And that's what using these skills that I've shared with you in the last three weeks will help you to do better and better. Psalm 1914 says, May the words of my mouth and the mediation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Remember, really, we have an audience of one. It's not the other person, it's God. Can I walk away from this process saying, God, has my heart been in the right place? Have I tried to be sensitive and and constructive with the words that I've shared? Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Not agree with him, but live at peace with him. And that's what we're called to be, peacemakers. Intentional in my relationships. Now, let me tell you, as you begin to try to use these skills, let me tell you right off the bat, it's going to seem awkward. It's going to seem clumsy. And you're going to go, reflective listening, what just happened? It's okay, don't worry about that, it's all right. The more you do them, the more you use them, the more natural they'll be. And you'll find yourself becoming more proficient at it over time. Like many other things that we've learned in life. We didn't do it very well right from the start, did we? But over time, we got better at it. And if you will embrace these things, over time you will become better at it. And increasingly, you'll put yourself in that category that Jesus talked about. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. They'll be called daughters of God. They're peacemakers. Again, these are available for you. Anyone who wants the notes, they're extensive. And you can refer back to them and really buy into this idea of being intentional, more intentional about building your relationships.